Well, good morning. I'm super excited to be here with you and looking forward to our conversation. Hello and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewanfo, and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode. A little bit about me. Uh, I have had a really interesting career. I'm very grateful for all the different things that I've done. Um, primarily, what I've done in my life is I seem to find myself right at the point where technology or something major in society is changing, and I tend to find opportunities for businesses, either for myself or for some of the other people that I've worked with, in those uh, kind of middle grounds. So I'll give you an example. I started a video production company when video went from tape to digital. That was one of my first companies. Um, I worked with someone who had the monopoly on simulcast horse racing. So in the past, if you wanted to watch a horse race, you had to listen over the radio. And what he created was a satellite uplink from the racetrack down into Las Vegas so that you could actually watch the uh, the horse race live. And so that completely changed the industry. Um, I started a web development company when everybody was just freaked out in the early days, not sure how do I spend my advertising dollars? Should it be TV? Should it be old newspapers or magazines? Should it be all online? Should it be some online? And once again, when social media came, same kind of thing. Everybody said, should I keep doing web ads with Google ads? Or should I now be doing just Facebook or Twitter or um, uh, Snapchat or you know TikTok or any of these things? So uh, I also helped uh, a real estate person. Um, he really shook up the industry and he ended up being the number one real estate guy in the whole country just because he looked at the industry. He said, things are changing. How do I take advantage of that? And so for the most part, that's what my career has been. Um, as a side note, I also was a guy on the floor of the stock exchange yelling and screaming and throwing papers around for 12 years. So yeah, so I've had a really interesting career. I'm super, super grateful for all the wonderful people that I've worked with over the years. That's absolutely interesting. That's so interesting, Luke. So of all these different things that you have done, which one would you say uh, turned you on the more? Which one would you say uh, you, you are more passionate about? I'm passionate about everything. I'm passionate about my kids. I'm passionate about um, every day. Uh, you know, one of, the in, one of the really great things for me was that it's like a, a long thread that goes through my life. And one thing kind of informs the next. And so I think I, I, I haven't actually counted, but I think we've done um, in this web development business 5,100 sites over all the years. 5,100? Yeah, 5,000 plus uh, websites, which um, they, that if you think about it, that's 5,000 plus clients, because oftentimes we'll work with three to five people inside of a company. So maybe that's 15,000 people. And what that does is it, it helps me look at one industry and see how things in one industry might affect another industry. So if I'm working with a banking client, it may help me understand what's changing in banking 
that may help e-commerce people. Um, I did some user interface work for PayPal and QuickBooks, uh, like the Intuit company, when they were first deciding that they were going to lend to small business. They hadn't even had a program yet where they would lend to small business. Then Square got into it, PayPal got into it, QuickBooks got into it. And because I knew that, it affected some of my other clients. And so I was able to kind of look at what's changing in all these different industries and look for commonalities, but also look for opportunities during those. So um, of course, yelling and screaming on the floor of the stock exchange is always the most fun. Um, but, um, you know, I can, I can imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, the strategy and just watching, I, I, in my free time, if you asked me, what do I do in my free time other than, you know, spend time with kids or, you know, people relationships. Um, I love, I just love to learn things. I just love to learn. Uh, when I go to the gym, I watch this thing called curiosity stream. Uh, a couple days ago, I was watching something about all these things they're called title machines and they're t-i-d-a-l and they are trying to maximize the waves and get energy from the waves and ship it back to the land so that um you know it's like putting big windmills in the ocean and i look at that and i go i love that and how will that affect companies and what's interesting um behalf for me is that i uh I can also put on my trading hat and think to myself, how will that affect these companies in a financial way, but also how will it affect them in a strategic or a marketing way? And I do the same thing with tech. So as there's changes in tech, I think, how is that going to affect small business? How is that going to affect the entire marketplace? How's that going to affect stocks and what they do? So I love to just think really broad about things, but then when I'm working, I like to keep it really simple. You know, you can't be so broad in your daily activities or you never get anything done. So it's important to be very tactical, but also to have a broader view. And I'm sure you've heard people talk about a 50,000 foot view, you know, go way up and, and look at like what the market's doing and, and all these things. That's all great. But on a daily basis, it's important to know what are the goals for today? What are the goals for this week? What are the goals for this month? What are we trying to accomplish right now? Otherwise, you're running in a bunch of different directions and nothing really ever gets done. Uh, today's conversation is around technology. So yes. uh, I'm going to be learning a lot uh, from you because the other time we, we did say that uh, uh, you have been to the Silicon Valley. You have had a good experience there. Of course, some of these uh, companies that you are making mention of that you have worked with, I want to believe these are also some of the, the tough ones there in Silicon Valley. So, uh, yes, technology is, um, is a thing that we play with today in our, in our different businesses, even in our regular life. Yes. Now, looking at it like this, because this is 2022, what would you say is the importance of technology in businesses today? Um, it's a, it's, and it's a great time. It's a, first of all, it's a fantastic question. And it's a great time to talk about it because we all just came out of COVID. And what we all learned in COVID is that prior to the middle of 2019, the majority of people didn't need to know how to use Zoom. They didn't have a need to know how to use Skype or 
Microsoft Teams or Google Meet. They didn't have to do video conferencing. They didn't have to have lighting in their house. Uh, but very quickly, the world changed. And when the world changes, all of a sudden, everybody needs to adapt. So there's a lot of changes that have happened in our lives in a really short period of time. You know, I remember a time where when I was trying to text people on a phone, I had to push the AAAAA button and then go to the CCCCC button and punch a bunch of times just to say hello. It was crazy. Now <laughs> I just, you know, I, I'm sure you remember that. Those are horrible phones, but it was much better. And we talked about this in our last conversation. It was much better than getting in your car and looking for quarters and driving all around to go find a payphone. So having a phone, even though it was a crummy phone originally, it was better than looking for a payphone. Well, we did another jump and that next jump was from crummy phones to phones where I can just push and I can talk and I can get directions, I can find great restaurants, I can uh, set reminders, I can set calendar items, I can just talk to you across the world um, just by pushing a simple button and talking on Skype. So, you know, what happens is these, these technologies come and we adapt to them or we decide that what we're doing is no longer working and technologies are created to fix a problem. So either the technology adapts around the people, the people's need, or the people will find a way to adapt around the technology. And so a lot of people in Silicon Valley, uh, and obviously I don't speak for Silicon Valley, but a lot of people in Silicon Valley are trying to find that balance. They try to find the balance of what is it that people want? What is it that will make their lives better, but not so dramatically dif different or difficult that the adoption is almost impossible. And I think that uh, VR, virtual reality, is one of those things that will get better and better and better and still up to this date, although it's just starting to change, um, has been really hard because you don't want to walk around with this gigantic thing on your head. And, uh, you know, I've seen people that are, you know, they do a boxing game and they start accidentally punching, you know, pictures on their house or holes in their <laughs> wall, or, you know, because they get so into it. Uh, so it's really, it's really cool to see um, these new technologies come on, but there has to be a legitimate reason for it. Um, one thing I'll, I'll say is that if I were to do a before the, all this technology that we're experiencing and will experience and after that technology, um, up until now, the current tech, the current systems, they've all been uh, built to work around the real world. Like me and you sitting in our chairs, talking on this camera, talking on our microphones, that's real world stuff. Even though it's, it's slightly digital because you and I aren't sitting next to each other, it's still real world. But where things are going, I'm sure you've heard the term metaverse and you know Facebook has changed its name from Facebook to meta because of that. Microsoft has their version of it. Uh, Sony has the PlayStation and, and their whole version. And then you have all of the NFTs 
and all of the Bitcoin and, um, uh, you know, all of these different cryptocurrencies and all the stuff that's happening. Um, it's really pointed at a different type of world, and that's a digital world. So as an example, you and I could be in an office right now and we're working and all of a sudden, um, I don't know if you've ever seen those buttons. They, I, I think it's a, it's an office company. They have this thing called the easy button. Like there's this big button, you know, that people push or whatever. Um, I could see a time very soon where we're in our office, we're working. We've been sitting there for a long time. Somebody hits the easy button and we all get up and do a virtual dance party. And we're just like, we're just dancing in this metaverse, really cool, weird, you know, just have, just having, it, having a moment, right? And we can't, we can sort of do that in the real world. But if everybody stands up and dances, everybody else knows that everybody's dancing. But I can do that in this digital world and be sitting at my desk and you don't know that I'm there. And so what happens is your whole environment can change on the digital spectrum, but your regular world doesn't change. And so what is an example of that would be putting on VR headphones, uh, uh, headsets, and going up in a balloon. I'm sure you've seen those where they go up really high in an air balloon, and you look and you see this whole amazing, you know, Napa Valley or something like that. And, and it's, and your brain doesn't know any different. Your brain thinks you're up in a balloon looking at Napa Valley. And the only thing that's different is when you take it off, your brain goes, oh yeah, we're still in the living room. Uh, but, <laughs> but your brain really doesn't know any different. And so in the old days, everything was built around the regular real world hard stuff, but what's being built, what's, and that's businesses, that's work, that's um, relationships, all that stuff is kind of melding into this future place as well. So one example in a really simple way is uh, COVID. You know, there was a taco place near me that sold tacos. And for the most part, they would have people come in up until COVID. As an example, a taco place right around COVID. Um, I used to go there and just go in and have tacos, you know, whatever, veggie tacos or something. And uh, when COVID hit, nobody could go in the restaurant anymore. So they very quickly saw that they needed to adapt and they needed to have an online presence. They needed to have a pickup and delivery situation. Um, and they literally bought out the business next to them, the space next to them, because they had so many bags of food that people were standing in line to get, right? And they very quickly adapted to that new kind of environment, new world. What I see coming is there's a lot of businesses that think it's going to be way far out. They think this whole, you know, it's going to be really, really far out, but I, I disagree. I think we're a lot closer than a lot of people think. Uh, can I share my screen with you real quick? Uh, please, please go ahead and do that. Yeah, okay. yeah. I want to, yeah, yeah. I just want to, uh, I want to show you something. Um, so I don't know, I'm going to just go to this. So I don't know if you've ever heard of Second Life. So, so way back in the day, Second Life in 1999, was something that was created as sort of a virtual environment. And it was really 
horrible graphics and the internet was really slow and you couldn't really do much, but the idea was you could go in and maybe you could find a coffee shop and you could kind of walk around and you could kind of meet people. And one of the biggest problems with it was that- um, Andrew, can you please make it full screen so that people, people can see it well? Sure. Can you see this? Uh, yeah, we can see, but if you could make it full screen. Um, I don't know. I, I feel I'm looking at it full screen. Ah, okay, okay, no problem, no problem. So let me see if I can get like. Well, anyway, they can they can certainly look up Second Life. Just do a Google search for Second Life. You'll see all these pictures. Um, the the point of it is this: in those days, the internet was very slow, and um, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna just go. I'm gonna stop sharing for a sec just to come back to me here. Um, okay, so the the internet was very slow and. What was so strange is you can you go not you and I could go meet you know we could send an email or because uh, there were no texts really that well back then I'd send you an email and I'd say go meet me in this place and we'd meet but there was if I wanted to buy you a coffee I had to do it with my credit card because there was no digital currency and so very quickly people said well if we're gonna live in this or have these experiences in this digital world we're gonna need some digital currency and that's really the beginning of all the bitcoin and all of these cryptocurrencies and all these other things because people realized well if we're gonna live there we're gonna have to have some digital currency what's happened is that now the digital currency is way ahead of the meta technology of the living in this digital environment or having experiences in this digital environment. So Facebook changing their name to meta, they're, they're kind of ramping up because now we have a way to pay for stuff in this digital world, but nobody's in it. And so we need to now, like I can see where that's headed. And, um, when you look at this, you go, oh, well, that's just silliness. It's just crazy for me to um, to like just be in here and just sit in a coffee shop. But the thing is, you and I might have thought at some point that it was silly for us to not get on a plane and meet with each other. And yet now we're doing it and we're having we've built a relationship. You and I have never met in person, but we've talked a few times. We've built Absolutely. a relationship. We've talked about your son. We've had some jokes like we're building a relationship. And so don't underestimate what you can do in a digital environment. And don't when when I take that down to small businesses. So what will be the expectation of small businesses? Will it be that, look, I don't want to drive all the way to your store. I just want to walk in. I want to be able to look at what you have. I want to order it. I want to have you send it to me. Um, so that's sort of like I can look at a menu right now and order something from Uber or order something from DoorDash and they'll drop the food at my house. But what if a competitor allows me to look at the food being made, to look at the back of the kitchen and see what it's like? Or if it's to have somebody that's a virtual person and they talk about this is where we source all of our food. We source all of our stuff at local farms, local farmers. Um, it's all organic stuff. And given the same amount of money, will I choose the person that shows me more about the food, more about the experience 
in a digital world or will I choose one that's just on a menu in a picture? Most likely you're gonna choose the one where you get more information, where you see the video, where you interact with people. So I think what will happen is that people will start to jump and then everybody has to jump. And the reason I feel that way is because I remember, as I said in the beginning of this, uh, when I was working with the guy in Las Vegas, the horse races, everybody thought, oh, the horse races are fine. You can listen to it. You can just hear who's winning, no problem. But as soon as it became obvious that you could watch a live horse race as opposed to listen to it over the speakers, nobody went to any of these casinos unless they could watch a live horse race. And I can see very easily dresses, um, e-commerce, um, just doing business with somebody. If you don't have the ability to connect and interact with your either employees or your um, customers in this new world, you're gonna be kind of like that guy, that company that um, was, or that casino that only lets people watch uh, listen to horse races rather than see it, right? All right. So, now, Luz, yes. um, this is 2022. Right. We are uh, sort of uh, preparing to enter into this new world. I want to use your word for it. Yes. Uh, which uh, companies are out there that are sort of championing this type of technology that you are talking about today? And that will, Okay, you did make mention of, um, of Facebook. Yep. Uh, can you share with us what are they proposing, something that people can be uh, uh, getting their amount worth for just now? Well, I think the simplest way to answer that um, is that all companies are using machine learning, they're using analytics, they're using artificial intelligence. And, you know, those are all big, scary words. But the truth of the matter is, if I had a pen and paper and I followed you around all day long and took notes on what you did, and I watched you the next day, and you did mostly the same things and I took those notes and then you did it again the next day, I would have some data that I could say, at nine o'clock, he's usually here. At 10 o'clock, he's usually doing this, right? It doesn't, it doesn't have to be artificial intelligence and you know robots are taking over the world. It's just simple stuff. It's really simple. Um, what we've been doing for the last 20 years has been collecting, we've been capturing all this data and you know, the, the data people will tell you there's two types of data. One is structured, one is unstructured. Structured is your, uh, you know, nine o'clock you're here, 10 o'clock you're there, and I can draw a graph and say, here's where you are on Wednesdays at nine o'clock. That's kind of structured. What's unstructured is if one day you just randomly decide to start singing happy birthday while you're walking, there's, there's no real way to, to capture that because it's just this random thing that you just started. And so some of that stuff is also getting pulled in. But the point is, it was all captured over the last little bit. Now they're gonna start using it for predictive stuff. A company that I, that I work with, they make cameras that do facial recognition. And one of the things that they are doing right now is they're, and I'll just give you an example. Um, if you, if let's say uh, a woman walks into Walgreens or let's say they walk into Nordstrom, what these cameras do is they have a profile built of not you, but of the things you're wearing. So for example, these glasses are by, uh, you know, that person's glasses are by a certain manufacturer. 
that purse is a Prada purse. Those shoes are Jimmy Choo shoes or whatever it is. And they can very quickly assess based on this stuff that you are wearing on the outside, check it against a database and predict what coupons they should give you for perfume. And so what they're doing is they're basically pulling all the people that wear those glasses, these purses, and these shoes tend to buy this perfume. So that has nothing to do with you. They're not tracking you. They're tracking the things that you are publicly showing to the world. And they basically will pop up on your phone. They'll be able to GPS you walking in, figure out where your phone is, and pop as long as you've uh, opted in for any ads. Um, they'll be able to pop up a perfume ad for you within Nordstrom. Hey, come on over to the perfume thing and get 20% off whatever. Or if you go into Sephora, come in and get 20% off uh, these makeup, you know, this, this makeup or whatever it is. Um, so everybody's worried in a lot of ways about their own, um, their own privacy, their own privacy, their own security. But what they don't realize is that there are a lot of public things. Certainly Facebook is obvious when you're posting all these things. Um, Donald Trump won the election by basically, and, and there's a whole, you know, lots of data on it, um, by basically saying, we're not going after the people that like Hillary, and we're not going after the people that like Donald Trump, because there's no reason. That's wasted effort. Let's look at all their posts. Let's figure out what they're kind of on the fence about. If somebody says, Hillary's a horrible person, and, and I respond, well, let's give her a chance. And someone says, Trump is a moron. And I say, let's give him a chance. He's a business guy, he's done well. That means I'm on the fence. And so all they did is they figured out who are the people on the fence and in what um, scenarios can we win that county in a particular state and make sure that if we win that county, it will help us change the election. So rather than going after everybody in all the states, they just picked the ones that they felt were on the fence in the states that were on the fence, and that's how they won. Very simple. And it had nothing to do with your individual privacy, except that you were posting a bunch of public stuff and there's the jury is out on whether or not that's your data or Facebook's data or you know Meta's data or Twitter's data. Um, they'll argue that you're not being paid for it and you're putting it out and so they own it because that's what makes the whole world go round is the content. But regardless, um, you know, going back to this capturing for the last 20 years, predictive over the next 20 years. So here's, here's one other example. There's a guy that I know um, that he has software that will look at how many days you've been late to work how many days you've taken off. If they have a way with a camera of tracking whether or not you're wearing a tie or not wearing a tie when you walk into your job. And if you are, the days that you are coming in late and you're not wearing a tie are going down, there's data and predictive um, analysis that can be done that says this guy's gonna quit. And what they could do is they can say, okay, well, if this means this guy's gonna quit, we know that it's $20,000 to hire somebody 
but $5,000 to keep this guy, then what they'll decide that they want to do is go to that person, get some alerts that say, hey, you know, late, no shaving, no tie, um, calling in sick a bunch, and let's go see if we can keep this employee because it works better uh, for the company to keep somebody that's producing that just needs a little bit of personal attention as opposed to completely starting brand new and having to retrain somebody and, and run the risk of having that happen again. So his software does one thing. It predicts who's going to quit and sends messages to the responsible managers to say, go get on this person and keep them. Um, that works great for the company, but there are times where I'll give you a different example. So let's say there's a camera in an Amazon truck. Amazon comes up to a stoplight and there's a small car, a 1972 Corolla, you know, Toyota Corolla with a small family in it of husband, wife, and a child in the back. And it on the back, it says Viva Mexico or something on a bumper sticker. So that so very quickly, that camera goes, oh, these guys are sort of like maybe they're, uh, um, you know, a, a Mexican family or whatever. They're driving this older car. So the average Mexican family driving an older car makes this amount of money in a year. And Amazon's coming up and it realizes that truck realizes that it either needs to swerve or it's going to hit the people. And so very quickly, it does a calculation that says there's $2 million worth of um, merchandise in this truck, or there's uh, it's going to cost us 300000 to pay off this family if we hit the car and kill them. And so the business decision is hit the car. Of course, there's $2 million worth of stuff. If you go off and you go off the road and you lose $2 million worth of merchandise, that's a lot more expensive than just pay off this family's family if you hit them and kill them for $300,000, right? That's a really easy financial decision. That's, it starts to very much step into the morality and um, the quality of human beings and, and how much a human life is worth and all those kind of things. But we have to be very careful that we don't allow this analytic stuff to get only uh, to only be based on numbers or profits or any of that. And I'm all about profits in a company, but you got to you got to find that line. So, you know, whether it's tracking somebody who's going to quit, whether it's looking at your education and saying you have this amount of education, you most likely will never make more than this because this is what your education level is and these are what your jobs are. So we're not gonna give you a loan for that house that is out of your reach. We're just not gonna do it because we don't feel like from a predictive standpoint, you'll ever be able to pay it off and we don't wanna do it. All right, now this data and also the analysis of it, uh, based on maybe the, the, the data we have collected, if um, based on that, say for example, using the example of loan, Mm -hmm. uh, somebody is not giving a law. Um, I, I'm trying to see how uh, accurate those data can actually be. Because what is the possibility that this individual will not change? Because what if it changed tomorrow? Uh, will the data still be accurate if based on that he was not giving, giving a law? Yes. I'm, I'm trying to um, look at it from that perspective. What would you say? Yeah, and, and that is... Um... 
That's a really, it's a really interesting question because there are lots of studies in places like India where they do these micro loans, where they give somebody $300 and they change the entire town or they change the village or they change life for their family just because somebody gave them a chance. And so that gets weighed or should be weighed in some of this predictive stuff. It can't just be all in the past. And that's why we captured all that information to say, here's historically what people have done, but then it has to be predictive to say, yes, but there were also people and um, that had that path, but then they had a change of heart, of money, of whatever, and they changed. And so that's where it really starts to get, um, it really starts to get interesting and it really starts to become important how this stuff is being programmed. Uh, because you and I know that, I mean, I, I told you I, I started one of the first web development companies a long time ago. I know lots of stuff about search and SEO and things like that. If you and I decided to open a wine business or let's say a dog, uh, um, like a pet store, you and I wanted to open a pet store. I don't need to know anything about pets. I just not have to know about Google SEO marketing and I can drive more people to my store than you. And I don't even have to know anything about pets, right? All I have to know is how to get people that if they search pet stores that I come up first, very simple. And so um, there's ways to get to the top of Google search by just paying. You don't even have to be a good company. If you have enough money for advertising, you can be at the top. Um, those kind of decisions, those kind of, of uh, things that are all tied in, you know, it's all interwoven in a really, really complex future. And I think for people to underestimate that is a mistake. I'm not a big, you know, scary future person. Um, although I think we need to be really careful about what we do to this planet because this planet can only take so much. I know that and I know this isn't related, but uh, to, to some extent, um, places down in the US, down by the coast where there's all the hurricanes and um, like Louisiana and places like that, where they think, you know, if these icebergs melt uh, and, you know, the polar ice caps, if they melt, then the water's gonna rise. Banking companies are only doing seven or eight year loans in some of those areas where they think the tides are going to rise. The reason that they're only doing that is because they predict that the houses will be underwater. So they don't want a 30 year loan where 20 of the years the house is underwater, right? Because the people aren't gonna pay. So they're just not doing loans any more than eight years until we find a solution to these tides are gonna rise and these houses are gonna be underwater. But that's all the quality of the data, right? If my data says 20 years, your data says 10 years, I can do 20 year loans. But if I'm wrong, then my company goes out of business. So that's where it starts to get really, really tricky. And how, like I said, it's all very interwoven, you know, the more, <laughs> the, it, yeah, the more data um, that you have. And also the other little tricky part is where are you getting that data? So if I'm buying that data from a company that everyone else is using that data, but no one's doing their own research, that that could be 
hugely problematic because you think that the information you're getting is correct, but it may not be. It may just be what everyone else is using, which is very kind of tricky. So maybe we, we take this down to, um, actually, let me share my screen. I want to show you two quick uh, kind of interesting things. And then, and then we'll maybe bring this down a little bit to, to like small business people and how this can affect yeah, them. Yeah, let's go. Um, so let me, uh, let me just share my screen with you again real quick. And uh, so there's two things. Um, one is, and hopefully you can see this. I'm going to zoom in on this. Can you see this, Bon? Yeah, I can see that. So um, I would recommend that your your people search um, Amica. It's A M E C A down here. The the robot. Um, and basically, what this company has done. You know, we've all seen robots. We all know robots are coming and that kind of thing. But what this person did is they took, like, this is what we saw, you know, in, in uh, whatever that movie is with Will Smith, right? But this one, what he did is he took the human face and he said, what are all the muscles in the human face? And he built the software around the muscles of the face. And so I don't know if I play this, if you can really see it well, but I would just recommend go look at Amica, A-M-E-C-A, -E robot. Um, and if you look at the face, Can you see that? Yeah, yeah, I can see. So, I mean, that's crazy. That's so crazy to see that. And and like we said, you know, you and I, we were not comfortable unless we talked in person at one point, right? If you and I are sitting across the table from each other, that's how we become friends. But we evolved and we were like, hey, you know what? We can become buddies over the internet, no problem. We can like share stuff about one another and our lives and things like that and, and develop a relationship. Well, the reason that you don't develop a relationship with like a chair in the house, even though people do develop it, like look at, um, look at recliners, like people develop relationships with the recliner in their house so they can watch TV and they always sit in it. And you know, like it has this worn place where they always put their their coffee or their arm or whatever. People do develop relationships. But the reason that we have not developed relationships with any of these machines is because the machines seemed to be a little bit less human. But our brains are really simple. And if you put on- Bring, us, bring yourself in, uh, Andrew, we can't see you anymore. Oh, okay. Um, if you, uh, there was one other thing that I wanted to show, but I'll, I'll show that in a sec. Um, so. Okay. Just like if I put goggles on and I go up in an air balloon, my brain thinks I'm in an air balloon, right? Well, you put a robot in front of me that looks like a person, my brain's gonna go, well, he's kind of a person. So let's say I look at you, right? You and I become, we decide we're gonna meet in person. And it turns out you lost your arm, um, knock on wood that you have not or never will, that you lost your arm in a car accident. Well, officially, you're not a full human body if you don't have two arms, I guess. And yet uh -huh. we decide that without an arm, you're still a human body. Without a leg, you're still a human body. With no hair, you're still, with gray hair, you're still a human body, right? So our brains have this ability to be very fluid where we say, well, but he's kind of like a human. 
and he's much like people that I know. He just has gray hair. So I'm going to let him into the human category. Well, if I look at this robot, my brain goes, well, he's, I mean, maybe if his skin wasn't gray, if his skin was a little bit different and you just put a shirt on him, I'd kind of like this guy. He's kind of cool and he's kind of funny. And if I go like this, I put my hand up to his face, he goes like this and he pulls back. So that's what people do. So I could see where people will start developing relationships. Well, again, like same exact stuff that I always say, if all the other companies have a human being and people decide that they want to have a really cool robot that they can talk to either as a counselor or as somebody that helps them shop at Best Buy. When I'm walking around, I don't wanna to talk to the Best Buy guy, I wanna to talk to the robot and ask him stupid questions and go, hey, I don't know if this TV will work in my house, but I don't want that guy to think I don't know stuff about tech. So I'd rather ask a robot. And so if all of the companies start to do robots, you better have a robot for your company or no one's coming to your company anymore. <laughs> Andrew, there is a curiosity, I think some people want, in, want some clarification from you. Yes. Now, where does this uh, technology place human being? If we can have you, a robot doing the same thing as human being. Of course, I understand that we're still far away from that, no? We are really actually still far away from robots that can actually do the work that human beings do, because human being is not just because you are this tall, or you are this fast, or yes. you talk like this. There are a lot of complexity about how we are able to live. So to say that robot is going to be able to do this one in just these few years, I don't think that is even a possibility. But help me anyway. Yeah. Where does this place human be our interpersonal relationship as human? Well, so um, let me put it this way. This is what I really believe. Um, if I go in right now, you know, when uh, 20 years ago, when I didn't need to wear glasses to, to see stuff up close, like I can still, you know, get on a bike and go ride, no problem. But if I try and read something at a, at a you know, middle age person, um, I can't read anything. I don't, I, I just, this is impossible anymore. So I need, I need these little corrective things to fix that. If I go in for a driver's license and they say, read that chart, and I can't read that chart, they won't give me a driver's license. Simple as that. If I put on my glasses, they say, okay, you gotta drive with glasses, right? Really simple. Well, if everybody starts getting optimized eyes in order to keep up with everybody else, everyone else is gonna do that. And you're starting to see it with plastic surgery. People that are 80 years old or 70 years old are still 100% functional. Their brains are great, not everybody, but the people that have taken care of themselves um, and they're realizing that in order to compete in this world, they need to look a little bit younger. And so they do a little bit of work. Well, just like that, we're gonna start to say, if I need to compete in a robot world, I'm gonna need to run faster. I'm gonna need better legs. I'm gonna need better eyes. And as the robots become human, in my personal opinion, the humans are gonna start adapting themselves to be able to do a little bit more, um, Tech, technical things that humans weren't necessarily built for. And, and we're already doing it. Like we're already all walking around with a phone. So if you said to me, look, you can have your phone in your head. We'll just put a chip in there and it won't ever hurt you. We promise. Uh, but you, you just, <laughs> you, you know, you, you won't have to carry this stupid thing around anymore. 
and you could just put on a set of glasses anytime you need to see something. Um, and we'll just project it out onto the glasses for you or like a, a you know, thing like they have in cars where it's like a digital display out in front of you. Um, I will, I would pretty well guarantee you that as long as people felt it was mostly safe and certainly there's always a risk with everything, um, they would start to have that embedded. There's already people that are embedding themselves. And if you don't know anything about CRISPR and that whole technology of gene splicing and editing and people are able to do all kinds of crazy things on themselves already. And, you know, we're starting to have legal issues with that, but people generally want to be better. They want to go to the gym and they want to be stronger. So if you give me a way to be stronger, if you give me a pill that will make me smarter, if you give me something that will allow me to, to be better in this world and not necessarily always better than other people, just better than myself. Just, I like to be smarter. I like to run faster. I like to lift more. I like to jump higher. Um, if you give me that ability, I really truly believe people will take it. So although there are some jobs that nobody wants to do, um, that robots will be really good at doing, there's things that the human body just should not lift. Because if you lift it, your spine will compress and you'll have nerve problems and pinched nerves issues. You're physically not built to do that. Um, these, these machines might be able to do that. But I do think that it's not going to be just the humans versus just the robots. I think we're both headed toward the middle where we're evolving ourselves just like now we have fire. <laughs> now we have wheels. Now we have cars. We don't ride horses anymore. Um, we're just going to adapt and we're going to need to adapt as the technology grows. So the more it adapts, the more it adapts. If everybody else can fly, you're going to have a very lonely life being the only one that walks. It's really, right. it's really Andrew, simple, right? There is this uh, curiosity that I have. Yes. Now, when we talk of robots, talk of AI, are we looking at tools that we can use to improve ourselves, Absolutely. improve our environment, or are we looking at alternative to human being, no. something that is independent of the human being. Yeah, the, absolutely. We're looking at things and there's things available right now. And, and I would suggest to the people that have uh, small businesses to use some of these. I'm just going to throw out a couple. Um, let me let me share my screen one more time and just show you uh, one last quick thing. And then I want to hit a couple of those. Um, so as soon as this shares. Um, so this uh, I'm going to zoom in on this. And if you want to look this up, you could just look up this person's name. It's Pinkas Gunter or Guter, uh, P-I-N-C-H-A-S. And he's a he was a Holocaust survivor. And basically what he decided was that he wanted to have his story told so that people could ask questions about what was it like to be in the Holocaust with the Jews, um, all, you know, all these six million people being killed, men and women and kids. So he told his story, but they did it in a virtual world environment. So they put all these cameras on him and they, um, they asked him, I think it was like 1300 questions and they tied it to a bunch of artificial intelligence. And now, they go to schools and people can just basically watch this and the kids can ask questions and the, the, the machine learning, the AI understands that if they say, what was it like to see the first person get killed? 
then it will check against the database and it will choose from one of his answers. And although it may not be exactly the question that was asked of him, the system's smart enough to answer things so that people can have a real interaction. They can really ask questions and learn from this person based on his personal experience. Where that might play out is that might play out where if you digitize your grandmother for your son when he graduates high school, you might bring your grandmother back so she can experience that and your son can have your grandmother there even though she passed away 10 years ago. So there's like, there's all these different technologies that will come and they'll find a place, but let's, let's take it way down and make it really, really super simple. So <laughs> if, if people That's do good. a simple search uh, for like uh, writing artificial intelligence, just like writing AI, one of the things that we do in social media or in, in strategy is we need to write a sentence about, let's say we're talking about your podcast. We need to promote your podcast. So I can write my own version. This podcast is fantastic because he brings on great people and he blah, 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 right? Um, I can put it into the AI. It's a free tool. There's lots of these companies out there and it will rewrite it for me, grammatically correct, um, there are more, uh, there's deeper tools that will look at which ones, which words need to be in this in order for it to rank so that if somebody Google searches it, they will find it. Um, and there's lots and lots and lots of tools that, um, MailChimp is a, you know, email, um, service where you can send out mass emails to people. Uh, MailChimp will now say, hey, we see what you designed, but click here and see a couple designs that might be a little bit better, that might be a little bit better for your audience. And you did it in orange, but they suggest to do it in blue or purple or, or green. Um, there's a lot of that technology that's already out and it's for marketing, it's for lead generation, it's for CRMs. Um, there are things that will push to you like HubSpot or Salesforce that will say, hey, this person uh, used to be a great client. You used to do this amount of money of, of business with them. They haven't called you in three months. It's time for you to call them. And unless you literally log into Salesforce and go look with your little you know, human brain at here's all my clients and when's the last time they called me, it'll take you forever to do that if you got a list of 3,000 people. It'll just take you forever to figure out who you should call. But this software is now smart enough to just send you a message and go, call Andy, you know, call Mark, call whoever. You haven't called him in a while. He used to be a big client. And you just forget, like our human brains are not built to be computers yet. They were just built to be human brains. So there's a, there's a ton of that kind of stuff. It's like I said, lead generation, it's for search, it's for strategy. Um, Tons of financials, tons of financial things. So you can, you can have uh, software look at your sales over a certain period of time and find out that you've been ordering your product at the wrong time of year because the way that your sales come in, you've been doing it because you think you know what you're doing and maybe you did based on what you knew in the past. But now with this data that's been collected, it's saying to you, no, 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 don't order in June, order in March. That's a much better time. 
because all of the distributors that you buy from order in January and they want to sell most of it by March or April. The stuff in June is the last little bit and they're okay to charge you more because they've already met their numbers. This is just icing on the cake for them. So better for you, Mr. Customer, to order something in March rather than in June. You'll get a better price, you'll get a better deal, and you'll get free shipping or you'll get better delivery or whatever it is. So those kind of things are um, all out there and most of them are all free tools right now. So and I can't imagine anybody that's in an industry that cannot right now be helped by free tools, just AI tools, machine learning tools, any of that kind of stuff. And I think, again, like as you were asking, are humans, you know, humans are over here and robots are over here. I think our brains want to think regular people doing business are over here, a burrito shop is over here, but all the machine learning, you know, Webster, whatever, uh, uh, Watson, you know, all these big companies are over here. That's not true. It's not true at all. The, the middle ground is, is, um, is really fluid. Again, it's like there are plenty of free tools that you can use to do better than you are right now. And, Thank and, you so and much you for just that. have to, you just have to know what you're looking for, you know, mm -hmm. and, and for a lot of people, it just means stepping back and going, how can I make this better? And in, in, the, in the new world, rather than how can I make this better? Well, I'll just give them free shipping. My little brain thinks that's good. What I would rather do is say, what would the result be of me doing free shipping and run it through some software that's looked at a thousand companies that have offered free shipping. And this was the end result of offering free shipping. Don't just let my little pea brain make that decision, but use a thousand companies and all the experiences of all of them. And there's, like I said, there's free tools out there that will analyze a thousand different companies and go, here's what happens when you do free shipping. And with all due respect to all the wonderful people that are on YouTube selling things and helping people, don't just pay somebody, you know, $300 or $12,000 or whatever you're paying them so you can watch a YouTube series on free shipping because unless they have access to a thousand companies who have done free shipping, they're telling you based on their own experience, not on the experience of a thousand companies. This is what you need to, to uh, really succeed in this world these days. All right. Now, I know that's about a tools. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's important. It's important. All of it are important here. Yeah. Of course, you are talking from experience, no? Now, um, of this free tool that you are talking about there, not both paid and free tools, uh, most of the people that we are concentrated on here are in the business of content creation. No? People who want to create content yeah. and to serve other people. Basically, the knowledge economy. So what kind of tools would you recommend for people that are working in areas like this? It can be blogging, writing content, creative video, yeah. uh, marketing, or things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, there's plenty of tools. Uh, Adobe has a whole suite of tools now. Um, there's something called Canva, C-A-N-V-A, which is really, really super simple. You can, you can just say, um, I want to create a promotional brochure. I want to create an infographic. I want to create an email. I want to create a video. And they have a bunch of free content, you know, images and music and free things. I think Canva's, if you pay monthly, it's $12 a month. 
even if you needed to do two months worth and send out all this until you got customers, it would cost you $25. Like for me, I'm fortunate that I ran a business when I first started this web development thing, I merged it with an advertising and PR firm. We had 250, you know, employees and 27 designers and a whole bunch of different people. You know, some of these designers, we had to pay $250,000 a year for that level of design. But because all that design had been collected over the last 20 years, there's now predictive stuff that can say, here's the best design. If you're trying to sell uh, a tree cutting service or a plant watering service or a dog walking service, here is the best stuff to use based on you. Where we will go will be, here's the best stuff to use, but we need to know where you are because we need to also make sure that all of your competitors are not using the same thing. Because if everybody uses the same free tools, it's like everybody's doing the exact same thing. So if everybody's doing the same thing, then nobody's doing anything original and then none of it makes any difference. You might as well not just all do what you're doing anyway. So it's, it's being able to stay ahead of it enough to know that you're using these tools in a way that's helping you, but it's also not making you like all your competitors immediately. And there's a, there's a fine line there. And that is, I want to be recognizable. Um, just like I want that robot to look a little bit like a human, so I feel comfortable with it. I want your brand and your logo to feel comfortable to me so that I feel comfortable using it. I don't want it to be so dramatically different that it, it like my brain goes, I don't know what that is, right? So you wanna be close enough to what other people are used to, but different enough that you stand out. And there are people that are working on tools that will figure out that balance, that type of thing. Um, so a couple more, you know, uh, gosh, anything. I mean, it's all so much better. If you had lived my life 15 years ago in this industry, you would be shocked at how great it is. I mean, literally, you know, I, I'm, we're working on a video for this company, a, a promotional video, like for the corporation. And, um, it's so funny, like for $24, we can go buy all these animations, all these video animations for Final Cut Pro or something like that for 20 bucks that would have cost $8,000 a few years ago to have somebody custom do it. But the thing is, I don't need custom. I just need it to look good. So I just have to make sure that all my competitors are not using the exact same thing. And um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't use custom people. And I'm a huge believer in the quality and the heart and the effort that designers put into their work. I'm saying if you're a small business and you don't have the budget, don't ask your you know six-year-old daughter to do it in crayons. There are plenty of free tools or really cheap tools that you can do that can elevate the quality of the work that you put out and, and the consistency of the work that you put out. One of the biggest things that I see with people in tech is they always wanna try something new. Let's try this, let's try blue, let's try flying things, let's try birds, let's try, you know, whatever. Um, it's too confusing. It's too confusing for the consumer. The consumer needs to know 
when it really comes down to it, what is it that you're selling me? How do I know for sure it's going to last? How do I know for sure if I need it again, you're going to be here, you're going to be in business. And to the extent that you can do that with graphics or text or images or audio or video, I just had a call right before this call with somebody and I talked about just him doing what you're doing, which is jumping on YouTube and talking to his customers, talking to his clients and helping them better understand what his product does. It doesn't have to be fancy. It's so much better than it ever has been um, that I think that's a really, really simple way that people can elevate their leads, their clients, and, and the people that will stay with them for a long period of time. Um, one, one final thing I would just add uh, to that, and that's, um, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of influencer stuff out there. You know, a couple years ago, influencers were being paid $15,000 a month to sell things that they try on a hat. Some of them, you know, really high level, Kim Kardashians and those type, you know, $175,000 to eat a popsicle on a video or something, or, or <laughs> you know, like here's some, uh, this is some coconut water. So I hold that up and now Whole Foods has to pay me a thousand dollars for holding up that coconut water. Um, there's a lot of that that goes on, but always put yourself back in the place of the customer and, and you know, is it sustainable? Like if you get this big bump, that's great. An influencer helps you. That's fantastic. But you got to have that next step. Like, how am I going to continue to do that? And maybe rather than saying, I just want to get an influencer, you want to do what you're doing in podcasts is I don't just want to do a podcast. I want a continual stream of great, fun, smart, wonderful people that can bring um, some knowledge to small business and to do some great things in the world with it. That's for you. That's a very long uh, run because there's lots of people you can talk to and lots of people that would want to talk to you. Very, very smart strategy for you to say every single day I have to create content. That's a really hard strategy, right? I have to create these things day after day after day. Um, that's a really difficult thing to do. Uh, people do it and they do it well, but not everybody has that kind of time. Not everybody has those kind of budgets. So all you need to do is turn on your mic and find great people and your show is done, which is, you know, super genius. All right. You know, one thing I was, I was thinking is that if uh, technology make it possible for that, okay, you did make mention of Canvas and the rest of it. In fact, today I was publishing articles uh, because I also have a, a, niche, a, a niche blog where I publish article for things that concerns me. Yes. Uh, then, uh, of course, I use uh, Canvas for it. Uh, so maybe like Canvas and many other platforms Hoping that most of them will even develop even more in the future. There, are, there is one I was hearing recently that you could even design uh, artwork in in, uh, in AI, art generated, or you just plug some things there and it creates a super interesting uh, uh, design for you. Uh, I say well, these are these are interesting. So what I was actually what I'm actually going there is um, if these AI generated work are available there. What do we do with the originality of the content that we create? Since we are in this case, maybe make an example of the knowledge economy. Uh, how do we differentiate what is original and what is just a replication of the same thing? Because everybody have access to the same thing now. Right. I would say to you, um, it gets it gets harder to do that. The better the quality gets. So if 
um, there's a story that a guy, uh, he's a, um, uh, like he's a Buddhist master. And he tells this story of this guy that's at the bottom of a mountain. And as people come up, they say, he says to them, how are you going to get to the top of the mountain and what will you see? And they go up. And then when he comes down, when they come down, he says, what did you see at the top of the mountain? And so he does that with a couple hundred people. And he decides, I don't need to go to the top of the mountain. I know what it looks like. I know all the paths to get up there. Why would I ever go up there? And there's somebody else that says, um, if you go on a vacation and your ultimate place that you're going to end up is home and you're already home, why go on a vacation? <laughs> right? Because you're already there. You've already reached where you were going. Like, that's kind of silly. Um, the more that these tools change and the more these tools stay the same, the harder it will be to differentiate yourself. And what always happens is that we find new ways to differentiate ourselves. And so right now, I think there is still room for a lot of people to differentiate themselves to just have better content and use some of these free tools or inexpensive tools just to have better content and to get up to speed with where the rest of the world is. Um, and that way they can compete. If I feel like what you're doing is the same as everyone else. When I was a kid, I used to fish, like I used to go fishing after school and there was this bridge that I would go to. And if I was on this side of the bridge and everyone else was on that side of the bridge and I started catching fish, everybody from that side of the bridge would come over to my side. And once they did, no one was catching any fish over there. So then I would just go to the other side of the bridge that they just were at. And now I catch fish because no one's over there because they're all over at this other side. And I, I've always kept that in my mind because it's very similar to marketing. It's very similar to strategy. It's very similar to content. You want to do enough similar that it's recognizable, but sometimes blue is not cool anymore. Red is the new thing. But if everybody's doing red, then it's time to go blue. If it, everybody's doing blue, it's time to go back to red. So our brains, fortunately, are still very simple. And we like what we like, and we like things to be unique and different. Um, my son is, is a big uh, music person, and he looks and, and works with people that also have created music 100% with artificial intelligence that are just experimenting with these tools. And I, I'm sure you've probably seen, or if you, if you Google it, you'll find stories on it where they took human editors of movies, like the trailers of movies, you know, uh, in a world where whatever, you know, like they do that beginning thing. I've, I've seen some. <laughs> You're right, the, the beginning yeah, yeah. trailer. Um, and there's professionals that do this and they get paid a lot of money because that's what drives people to the movies. But what they did is they also had machines, artificial intelligence, take all the content. And what that did is they looked at 10,000 movies that are all science fiction and said, what were the top science fiction movies that were released in a, on a rainy day on a Tuesday in January? And they said this, based on all this historical data, this is what the trailer should look like. And 
to the human eye, they were just a little different, like slightly better. Some people would say this one's slightly different, but when it came down to the actual humans that said, I would go to this movie, yes or no, I would go to that movie, yes or no, it was dramatically different. It was like 35% more people would go to the computer generated trailer movie than the human generated trailer movie. So what that means is we're going to, as humans, need to start to embrace some of these technologies and use them in our jobs. It doesn't mean they're gonna put us out of a job. It means we have to leverage some of those technologies, which means we're gonna actually have to learn some stuff, um, which is okay, you know? if you keep a really open mind about it rather than all the typewriters are gone and there's no more jobs for any secretaries or admins because I can't use a typewriter. Well, that's not the way it is. Like you just use a computer now. Same job, basically. Um, probably harder work for sure. But, uh, you know, it's not like you can't evolve. And that's one of the things that I love to work with people with that are kind of in this transition spot where they're trying to figure out, okay, my job's sort of becoming automated. What is it that I'm going to be able to do? And we can find transferable skills that you have or things that you'll need to learn or things that might be a slight offshoot of what you've been doing, maybe in a different industry or maybe in a slightly different market or whatever, where, where people can thrive. Like we are meant to thrive. And we certainly, I don't think, have anybody that wants to just make it so no one can work or no one can thrive and and find their purpose in the things that they love to do in in life. I don't feel like that's the goal for anybody. If if and I'll say that with a caveat, unless you can make a lot of money at it, then then people might consider um, doing that. But I think in general, if you ask most people, they would say, I want people to thrive. I want people to be happy. I want people to enjoy what they do. Um, where it gets a little tricky is because there are some numbers that say, if we have robots do all this stuff, we don't have to pay them and they can work 24 seven. Well, that's obvious. So we as humans are gonna just have to find some other ways around that. Um, and that's <laughs> leverage the technology, not just give up. You know, we don't, we're not a, we're not a give up kind of um, society, you know? In fact, I think, no, no, I think it was with another person when we're talking about AI, or I think it was with you, I don't remember, where I was saying that the people that are going to lose the job are those who refuse to adapt. Yes. But you are going to have to adapt to system, no? Because technology, the AI that we're talking about, it's already everywhere around us, in fact, no? Of course, this is not general AI, the one that we're just going to compete with human beings. That is not what we're talking about. Because if we're looking at AI as a tool now, it means you are going to have to use it for your own good. If you refuse to use it, then you are out of the job. So, sorry, go home and rest. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. All right. But, but yeah. let, me, let, me, let me just address yeah, yeah, please. I, May I just address that real quick? Um, I, I'm working and just about done uh, working on this book, and it's called Changing Tribes, uh, T-R-I-B-E-S. If you go to changingtribes.com, um, you can pre-order it, and I'm giving people a deal that I'm actually going to have a conversation with them if they pre-order this book. But the, the whole premise of that is, you know, in the really early days, the Indians um, and other tribes, you know, these people would come in and if they didn't evolve, like they, I'm all about fighting as hard as you can, but when it's so obvious that fighting is not gonna work, and I don't know exactly what the crossover is for that, but at some point you need to adapt and you need to change. And it doesn't mean it has to be painful. It can be fun, it can be exciting. 
There's so many different ways that you can go about it. Um, but if you don't, if you are a diehard and you put your feet, you know, your head in the ground or your feet in the ground and you go, I'm just going to keep trying to be a, a person that uses a typewriter, you're not going to win. Like if the rest of the population, if the rest of humanity says typewriters are out, typewriters are out. And you better have Bill Gates kind of money if you want to bring typewriters back <laughs> because or, you know, Warren Buffett or somebody like that, because it's going to be really, really hard to stop what's happening. And so looking in the future and seeing how things will change and and then looking at your industry and your job and saying, how am I going to be affected? And if I am, how will I evolve, not change necessarily as much as evolve. Um, I think that you'll see that there are a lot of ways to do it, a lot of opportunities to do that. Um, and that's a, that's a really important thing to remember. It's not all gloom and doom. How can we use technology to get more increase in our business? I mean, to, to better leverage technology in our businesses. What are your strategies? Yeah, there's, there's two things, primarily. One is, what are the strategies for getting new customers? And then what are the strategies for keep, well, actually three things. Um, what are the strategies for keeping the customers that you have and increasing? So if somebody's a $10,000 uh, a month or $10,000 a year client, how do I bump them up to a 20 or a 15? So that's one strategy. How do I go get other clients, um, new clients? And um, how do I get back clients that I've lost? And there's different strategies for all of those. There's there's tools for them, but really simply, if I'm going to go get new clients, I've got to decide where am I getting them from? Either I'm creating a new market, which is um, uh, cell phones that didn't exist. All of a sudden now, you know, so some people would argue that was the telephone people moving over to cell phones, but you still would use a telephone in the house and have a different phone in the car. So, you know, that's a slightly different market. But that was a go create a market, go create an industry type of thing. You might be in that uh, business. If you're in a, I do something that another that other competitors do, what I would uh, recommend is people use some of the search engine tools and figure out, and Google has free ones, you could do a keyword tool and figure out what is it that people are searching for and ending up on the best websites. So for example, if you and I both have podcasts and your podcast is better than my podcast and I'm trying to compete with you, what I would do is figure out with these tools, what are the keywords, what are the searches that people are doing to land on your site? And then I would need to add that content to my site and I would need to make sure that I'm ranking. And I, I know this is gonna get really technical so I'm not gonna go there. Um, but I need to make sure that if somebody searches great podcasts about with cool people that you come up and that I come up if I'm trying to compete with you. If I say great podcast that Andy does and I rank for that, but nobody searches it or one person and that's me searches it every month, I'm, I'm not going to win. There's nobody searching it. So I don't care if it's great podcasts that people are using to find your site or peanut butter and jelly, and they're searching peanut butter and jelly, and the majority of people end up on your site. I don't care what it is. I just need to make sure as a competitor, 
as somebody who's in business that wants to get some of that traffic, I need to make sure that I am connected with the searches that people are doing. Because how do most people find stuff right now? They search for it, right? Um, if you are a store that's driving down the road, if, if everybody else has a clown that's running around with a big sign about their sandwich shop, um, it's gonna be really difficult because most people might not be using their phone in that area. They just look for the clowns, right? They just know there's the clown, that's a great place to eat, let's stop there. If there are no clowns and everybody is using Google search, uh, you know, a mobile search or map search or whatever, you better show up on map search. So that's going and getting customers. Um, the stuff that we've already talked about, the keeping and, and mining the customers that you have, there are companies that are making huge strides and any of the CRM companies are doing a really good job of it. There's lots of them. If you just Google CRM companies or, you know, you can message me through here. I'm happy to give you a couple examples of some. But um, to mine those people and to have some analytics around it. And if you know for sure that it takes three phone calls to a customer before they or to a prospect before they become a customer, then you make three calls and you don't worry about them saying no in the first two. If you're keeping that data and you go, every single time I call three, uh, I call this person three times, not in the same day, obviously, but if I call them, you know, over a month, three times, on the third time, 100% of the people buy my product. Then you should feel good about getting through the one no and the two no's in order to get to the three no's. If you have no data, then after one, you go, ah, eh, he doesn't want to buy my stuff. She doesn't want to buy my stuff. After two, you go, they definitely don't want to buy my stuff. But if you know for sure and you're keeping track of that, then you know it takes three emails and three phone calls and people turn into clients. You will be more motivated to make those three phone calls and make those uh, and send those three emails. So um, it works just like that for getting clients. It works just like that for keeping clients. It works just like that for taking the existing people that you've worked with and elevating the services or the products that you're selling them. Um, two for ones or special if you buy this, you get two of those for free. You know, any of those kind of promotional things work great as long as you know for sure that it works. And the only way to know for sure is works is not have a gut feeling or not go, oh yeah, I got it all up here, but actually have some stuff that's tracking it. And you can't, I don't think you can do a really good job with a human brain and an Excel sheet trying to stay ahead of your competitors if they are using stuff that digitally connects that information and gives them predictive analysis. Um, and, you know, and, and predictions on this is the time to call them, call them at three o'clock. And, and some of the tools are doing that already. MailChimp, for example, we're uh, saying that again, or um, SendBlue or any of these mail companies, email companies, they say um, right when you hit the button, it goes, hey, I know you want to send this right now to everybody, but if you wait until 2.30, you'll have better results. And so then the human brain goes, I know better than this stuff, and you push the button. But that's not the right, that's not the right way to do it. It's not trying to trick you. The tech is not trying to trick you. The tech is trying to help you. So if it says do it at 2.30, do it at 2.30. Um, to get back old clients, there's, there's similar strategies. There's ways to look at 
How many, how long has it been? Um, what's the right message to send to them? If you keep track of all your emails, make templates out of them, really simple stuff, you know, phone calls or um, chat bots. And if you just keep track of this stuff and just use simple tools, HubSpot or, you know, Salesforce is more expensive, but there's plenty of things that you can track this stuff. Uh, and HubSpot is free. Um, H-U-B-S-P-O-T, HubSpot.com. Very simple CRM. It tracks all your emails. It tracks when the last time and it, it has tasks and it'll say to you, hey, it's time to call that guy again or that, that woman again. Uh, but if you're not doing that stuff, then it's just a crapshoot every single time. If I'm a salesperson and I'm not using a script, and I'm not saying sound like you're scripted, I'm saying use a script and don't sound like you're scripted. Uh, if you're not saying the same thing every single time to every single prospect or every single previous customer trying to sell them something new, if you're not saying the same thing, the data is not clean. The analysis is not clean. You're doing something different every time. So when you said, hi, John, I'm happy to talk to you today. And you say, hi, Mary, I hope you're having a great day. That's not the same phone call. It's a totally different phone call. You cannot track the stats on those two because one little tweak may be the difference between 100% sales and 50% sales. So if you're gonna do something, you can evolve it, try new things, but as a base, Always do the same thing as often as you possibly can with your design, with your graphics, with your text, with your content, with your communications. When I have a phone call with somebody, I tell the same jokes sometimes just because I know people laugh at those jokes. You know, don't tell a joke that isn't funny. It doesn't go over well. So it's just really, really important to have that level of consistency and the tools will help you have that level of consistency. I see that you were spending a lot of time, if I did mention of it a couple of times, which is search analysis and all that. I don't know if you want to give the basis. What, what, what is the basis of search analysis? SEO, of course, I'm basically talking because, like I said before, uh, we are in the uh, information uh, economy. Uh, that, is the, that is our industry, as it were. So uh, please help us with that. Well, yeah, the basics of SEO are, are actually really simple. And it's no different than if you wanted to go meet somebody on a date. Um, really, really simple. Number one, you need to show up when people search for you. That's obvious, right? If I am going to go on a date with somebody, I need to show up. Otherwise it's not going to work. Um, so I'm going to drop the dating stuff and just go straight to this because I think it'll be easier. So I need to show up. So first thing that I would do if I was working with you is I would say to myself, um, what is the traffic that you're getting right now and how many of those are converting to sales? One of the big mistakes people make is they try to have a bunch of traffic come to their site, but if it doesn't convert to sales, it's a waste of time, a complete waste of time. I don't care what other people say. It is a complete waste of time. Um, so you need to know how many of them are coming to the site, how many are converting it and you, you have to go backwards one step. If no one's coming to your site, then you have to go back that step and say, what will it take to get people to my site? And it's really two things. It's the searches that they do and how that relates to um, the keywords, the meta tags and the content that are on your site. So when somebody searches, Google basically says, um, like I'll, I'll give you an example. 
that I've used in the past. So if I want to say, if I want to create a site about how to get high quality leads, so how to get high quality leads. If somebody that wants to smoke marijuana types how to get high, they're going to end up on my site and they're going to leave immediately because they're not interested in leads. They just picked that first part. So my keywords were how to get high quality leads. Unfortunately, they searched how to get high, which was the first part, not the second part. Google's not smart enough to go, oh, well, if they're leaving the site, they must want leads. It doesn't do that. It just goes away. And so you need to get the traffic on your site by the content and, and the search terms that you're using. And there's lots of tools to figure out what those search terms are, figure out the search terms of your competitors, all those things. Once you start ranking for them, you have to keep people on your site. If they come to your site and they leave right away, it's really simple. Google says, oh, they searched on this, they came to your site and they left really quickly, 15 seconds. That must mean they didn't find what they wanted because nobody stays for 10 seconds if that's what they wanted. So Google says, okay, well then if they searched on this and they ended up on your site and they left, then we're not gonna connect you with that search anymore. And so you have to keep people on your site and you have to engage them. And that's with video, that's with things for them to read, things for them to download, pop-ups that, not in their face, but pop-ups that say, hey, do you want more information? Do you want access to this newsletter? Um, this is some really inf important information that you should know. Um, click here and watch this video. Whatever it is that keeps them engaged, um, then you need to track with something, whether that's through Google and Tag Manager and all kinds of backend analysis, or whether that's just really simply you saying, when somebody calls you or emails you and you sell them, you need to say to them, how did you come to this site? You need to know for sure. And there's ways that you can track it you know, through tech. Um, you can track the phone number. You could put a special phone number in an ad, in a Google ad, and that's only like a, a Google voice number that if they dial it, it goes right through to your number. You know that anytime somebody's calling that, it's from your Google ad. You just have to track that kind of stuff. Um, but really simple SEO is you got to get people to search. You, you've got to connect yourself with the things people are searching for. And I, I can't tell you how many clients that I work with that say, I'm having trouble, I'm having trouble, I'm having trouble. And I look at it and I see that their site is perfectly ranked for the words, um, this is a great site to search on or something, but zero people are searching for it. So it doesn't do them any good. They're perfectly set up for something that no one is ever searching for. I would much rather you connect with the searches that are existing. There's, there's an old saying, uh, don't pour, there's an old saying that's don't pour the concrete of the path until people wear down the grass of where they're gonna walk. And then you put the concrete down for that path. So very similar. You do not want to be trying to force people to search for things that they're not searching for to find your site. Okay. Once they do that, you got to keep them on the site. You got to keep them in your social media. You got to keep them engaged somehow. And then you have to follow up. And only analytics will tell you how much follow up you need to do in order to convert them to a sale. 
And then the thing that people feel like, oh, I just don't want to do it, is to just simply ask for referrals. And there's lots of great people on YouTube and the web that will that give you all kinds of great ways to do referrals um, and to get referrals from people. But simply asking is the most important one. Um, and just say, you know, when you and I hang up today, you should say to me, hey, do you have any other friends that would be interested in doing a podcast with me? If you don't say that, and that's what your business is, and you make money by having people like me come on here, you've got a person here that knows a lot of people. You should ask me, and I will forward those people to you so that you can at least, you know, start them in your process and start them in your uh, in your CRM or whatever it is. So, yeah, I mean, SEO is a is a really complex scientific. It really is a science. It really, really is a science. But the simplicity of it, people often miss. Like, I cannot, I cannot say enough that you cannot win. If you think you're ranking for things that people are not searching for, you will never win. Absolutely. I think that is a key part if you're going to succeed in business. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. Now, what would be your concluding part, um, Andrew, relating to maybe the use of uh, AI technology, let's just call it general sense in your business in 2022? What yeah. would be, how, do you, how would you wrap it up? Yeah. I would wrap it up and say, don't be afraid, first of all, don't be afraid of technology. You know, um, I, I remember a time where people in restaurants used to say, how rude that that person's on their phone. You know, now people sitting at the same table are not even mad at the other person they're having a conversation with when they're on the phone. You know, we evolve and, and, um, this tech and all this meta stuff and all this artificial stuff, it's, it's weaving into our daily lives. It's weaving the way that people are creating products around you. It's determining fashion. It's determining the clothes you wear, the haircuts that you have, the roads that you drive on, um, you know, through Google Maps and Apple Maps and all that, and Waze and all those kind of things. Um, it's changing everything, but it's nothing to be afraid of. It's something to embrace. It's something to learn more about. And my best, best, best advice would be don't just look at your own industry, but look at a lot of different industries and try to extract things that are working in different industries for your company or your project. You asked me, how do we keep from all doing the same thing? If can everybody's using Canva or everybody's using, you know, AI, whatever, writer.com or something, how do we keep from being the same? And it's because we all have different experiences. And the more experiences that you can have, that you can bring to this, the better that you're going to be able to adapt because you're going to see things that connect that other people don't see because they're not looking for them. They're just focused on, I'm just a print shop. I just have to work you know, as a print company or I'm just a pet store. I only have to look at things that other pet stores are doing. In my personal opinion, that's a huge mistake. Stay as broad as you can in how you market, how you think about your business, how you think about your customers. But when it comes to executing, have a really, really clear path and do it over and over and over and 
if you're going to make a change, test it. If you're fairly comfortable that it's working, then <clears throat> do that over and over and over and over. Don't keep changing or your clients are going to get really confused. Your customers are going to get really confused as to what you do, how you do it. Okay, well, what do I have to do in order to get free shipping? You know, you don't want that stuff. You want it really, really super simple, really, really super clear. Remember, you are still selling to humans. You are not selling to the AI. You are not selling to the robots. You're not selling to the machines. You're selling to humans who are very, very simple, very simple-minded. They get confused very quickly. So as, as simple as you can keep it in your sales pitch, you will do better. But don't think that a simple sales pitch is based on only human thought. Get as much outside help as you can get and crystallize it into a really super simple human um, sales pitch. You'll do wonderfully. Thank you so much, Andrew. You're Thank welcome. you so much. I really do appreciate the time. You're awesome. Thank you so uh, much. I really appreciate your time and, and I appreciate um, all your <laughs> thoughts and comments and, um, and just getting to know you better. This is not the last time. If I were going to have another conversation, because I there is a lot here that is that is going on. So we are, we are getting we are getting into more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. We will. We'll talk again soon. I'm sure. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate our review Obehead podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Obehead Thank you so much for listening. I talk to you in the next episode.